Welcome back to this episode of Dentistry in Your Pocket. Today, I have the privilege of talking to a dear old friend, Professor Hany Yunzi. Uh, this young lad graduated from the School of Dental Surgery at the University of Montpellier in France. He has a master's degree in endodontics. He has a master's in medical and biologic sciences, a research mastership in orobiology from the St. Joseph University in Beirut, and is a PhD in dental materials from the University of Siena. He's quite blessed. Marco Ferrari was his research advisor. He's presently an assistant professor at the Department of Restorative Dentistry and Endodontics of the Lebanese University, and he's a visiting professor at the Department of Endodontics and Restorative Dentistry in Siena. He serves on the editorial boards and scientific advisory boards of journals such as the JOE, in the Saudi Endodontic Journal. He reviews for the International Endodontic Journal, the Dental Traumatology Journal, Hello Mark Semper, and the Journal of Applied Oral Sciences, and the Journal of Contemporary Dental Practice as well. He's a fellow of the International College of Dentists, a member of the European Society of Endodontology, and of course, the American Association of Endodontists. He has authored or co-authored more than 50 publications and presented and conducted more than 200 lectures and courses on four continents. To quote him, uh, he has a, a very lovely uh, demonstration of what his mindset is all about. Endodontics is very simple, and that's why it's so complicated. So without further ado, let's get to it. My dear friend, Dr. Hany Yunzi. Hey, how are you today? Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm fine, man. You? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I mean, we're getting that, that echoing coming from Beirut to Toronto. It's sort of like the way things are in the world today. Everything's kind of disjointed yep. and there's a lot of static. I, I want to thank you for doing this. Um, known you for a long time. Uh, well aware of the presentations that you used to do for KP, KPG. Is that not KPG. Uh, FKG. FKG. FKG on uh, the uh, XP Endo. KPG. That's an accounting firm here around the corner. Uh, <laughs> You did, your, you did your research on the restoration of endodontically treated teeth. And having seen the presentation that you did on fiber reinforced restoration of pulpless teeth, um, I was overwhelmed both by the content, uh, the optics. Uh, you're the consummate presenter. You really are something special. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I deserve all this, but I did, I did some work. Some um, work? The... Well... <laughs> You, you, uh, I, you was, I, um, I'm sorry. Regard, yeah, the, the 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 subject. I was uh, uh, the uh, I worked a lot with uh, with a colleague of mine, uh, Professor Ziad Salame from uh, the Lebanese University. We, we, I was his his partner in the research, uh, and he did his PhD on the topic. Uh, it was with uh, Marco Ferrari at the University of Siena, where I did my PhD uh, with Simone Grandini on uh, on nickel titanium. So, uh, so I, I know a little bit about the topic. I, I, I followed it. And this is something <laughs> that I've been following around for some time. I, I would say so. Do you, can you speak French and Italian? Have you learned to do both now, given your background? Yes, yes, I can speak French. French is my second language. English second is my language. third language. I would try and speak yes. with you in French, but it's Quebec French. And it doesn't sound anything at all like Parisian French. It sounds actually like, it doesn't sound very yeah, I know pleasant. My, my my friends here are from Canada, from from Quebec. So oh yeah, okay. They yes, left. So they, we, they're expats. They're expatriates. Everybody wanted to get out of Canada. 
Yeah, but they're they're in Kuwait now with me, so they're in Kuwait. So I'm I'm pretty familiar with uh, Quebec French. Yeah, it's different. Eh? It sounds very guttural, you know. It's like short thing birth and all this kind of good stuff. Right? <laughs> um, the reason for talking to you today is simple. We are in a unique era, minimally invasive access. Uh, they're talking now about not having to do instrumentation. Uh, all these new uh, fluid dynamic uh, sonar sound uh, devices are coming out and they're saying that we won't have to instrument teeth in the near future, supposedly. But that being said, it, well, supposedly, everything is a supposedly until it <laughs> happens. Uh, so the question becomes, we've gone through all of these crazy eras where, you know, uh, you know, you, you, everything had to have a crown. If it was endodontically treated, had to have a crown, whether there was a fair roll or not. Just the history of endodontically treated teeth is, uh, it's almost frightening when you go back at the, the, the sheer disregard for coronal tooth structure, which is now why we've moved to trusses and all of this kind of thing. Uh, but you are an advocate, obviously, of the fiber reinforced, which required, requires adhesive techniques. So the point of getting together today was, let's bring everybody up to speed. You know, metal posts, cast posts, they have their place, but the world has changed. We may not even be using posts in the next couple of years. We may not even have to do them now. But let's talk about the reality of the principles of restoring a pulpless tooth as it stands today. So of the four contributing factors, uh, perioendoiatrogenic and failing restoration, uh, what's the most significant cause for post-endodontic failure? Well, well, can you just list it most causes of failures and endodontically, treat, uh, endodontically treated teeth are effectively lost due to these factors. Now, for the sake of the game, since uh, we're having a nice conversation, uh, easy going. Don't say anything uh, about any company, no companies, don't <coughs> mention companies, that's okay. We keep that <laughs> off to the side here. All right, so if, 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 if you say, I always say, I can lie to everyone. I just cannot lie to myself. So uh, yeah. <laughs> if, if you or one of our listeners have to quantify how much would each of these causes represent in percentage? So let's, let's for our listeners, let's let them try to, to say at that moment, at that moment T, how much would they, they, they quantify the cause? Uh, so now that they have this in mind, uh, now I can answer your question. Now, it is, of course, an answer, not the answer, but it is quite representative, I can, I can say. So Zadig and collaborators in 2008, they, they, they published a study, and um, it, was, it was quite an extensive study on, on, on a five-year span, so it's, it's, I would say it's quite representative. And they quantified this to about 65% due to restorative failures, whereas endo accounted only for about 12%. So you see that basically you, we lose more teeth due to the restorative failures rather than the endo. And of course, there are other figures in the literature, but again, this study was, was quite representative as it is. So uh, the, 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 it is a common mistake to think that the, the restorative treatment is a separate treatment, whereas it should be considered as an integral part of the, the, uh, the endodontic treatment. So the endodontic treatment, you know, is the regular triad, cleaning, shaping, and filling. But there is an added dimension, which is the restoration of the tooth. And sadly, it's, it's often represented as a separate thing. Uh, 
Yeah, so there is no secret. As for any dental procedure, uh, the origin of the majority of failures, no matter the procedure, is, is, is attributed either to the, the ignorance, basically the ignorance of the physical or mechanical properties of whatever material we're using, or the procedure, the, the steps of the procedure performed, or a poor understanding of the biomechanics in, in general. So uh, that, I think that sums it up. What's interesting is, I mean, I go back a long way. I, I still remember, I mean, obviously posts and caspos, but then was it Nair that came on board and said everything can be restored with amalgam? You know, we could put little footings into the recess of canals. Amalgam was a great core. And I don't know that he was wrong because there's a shift back again for some crazy reason, so it's right? Nayar. Nayar, Nayar. This is like, uh, what, I don't know, late 80s, 80s or something. I don't want to age Late myself. 80s, yes. Late 80s. Well, see, I remember. Good. So the, the there, but it's interesting because in some crazy ways now you're almost seeing that go full circle, bonded amalgams, varnish underneath, whatever, and rather than uh, you know using composite, they're putting amalgam back in and restoring, telling people to restore that as the core. This is a a push that's going on in the United States or Canada right now. There are a lot of well-respected and very talented endodontists who are saying that's the approach to take. What, what do you think about that? Well, the, the, the pro, I, I'm an old fashioned and I, I, I am, I look younger than I actually am. So uh, I'm an old fashioned. Very, hand, very I, handsome lad. Very handsome. <laughs> Not that much. So the, the uh, um, I used amalgam when I was at dental school and I used it for a long time and amalgam works and it has been banned in some countries. Unfortunately, people say that it has been banned for health reasons. Now, as far as I know, there is there has been one study, serious study that linked uh, overall health, systemic health to, to amalgam studying the amount of mercury in the, in the hair or something. But that was it. It was it actually. This was the time where, where the, the the town where I studied in Montpellier in France. But clinically, because at the end of the day, uh, benchtop research is something. Clinics is something else. Uh, benchtop research research gives ideas, but the, at the end of the day, it's clinics that that is going to to say yes or no. We have been using amalgam for for years. And I don't want to say tens of years or hundreds of years, but we have been using amalgam for a long time. And it has been banned in some countries for environmental reasons, because when you remove the amalgam, it tends to disintegrate and the mercury is liberated again, goes in the drain, goes in the environment. And we shifted. You also have the, the, the power of the, the companies. A company, if, uh, I don't want to put names on companies, otherwise you're going to get sued. <laughs> so well, the first uh, time, big companies... Yeah. Okay. So big, big companies actually have a lot of a uh, lot of drive, and they can they can drive using opinion leaders or, or marketing, etc. Because they know how we think. Uh, amalgam is is definitely, in my opinion, a good option. It is going to give you a good seal if it is well done properly. You don't need to bond it. Actually, it 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 will uh, it, it works well by itself if it is well placed. You choose the right kind of amalgam. A non-gamma two amalgam, uh, it, it is going to seal, whether we like it or not, better than composite. Uh, composite, I see a lot. Unfortunately, unfortunately, at least in our region of the world, I see a lot of doctors who systematically change amalgam to place composites, and this is not driven by 
uh, a necessity for the patient. It's rather driven by, by, unfortunately, again, money. It's not everyone, but it happens. Uh, and I, I don't like that. So um, in my view, amalgam, the, 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 the Nayar core is, 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 is a very good option to use. So if you can use it, of course. If you can use it. Well, there is a push. I mean, some of the local people, uh, really, I mean, the top flight endodontists in this town. I mean, these, these guys are serious clinicians. They've shifted yes. back because they've seen the effect of composite flowing underneath restorations and such. Yes. So there's the challenge. You have to have amalgam separators, but it's just interesting how what goes around comes around all the time. So, yep. and again, we're now, we've moved from the, the sort of uh, traditional access. We've now moved into very minimally conservative accesses with uh, pinholes, you know, orifice directed, a restoration directed, whatever it happens to be. But you have a beautiful section in the presentation on how the physical properties of the tooth changes subsequent to root canal therapy. And yet there are mixed opinions. The longer you leave sodium hypochlorite in, you degrade the dentin, this sort of thing. So could you comment on that? Yeah, it, it is effectively an, an interesting question. As I've said in the beginning, you have to understand the substrate on which you're, you're working. Uh, basically, the, the point is dentistry is a borrowed science. Uh, when you do dentistry, you're a bit of an engineer, you're a bit of a material scientist. Uh, you need to understand the structure of what you're rebuilding because it's, it's basically sometimes you're building bridges, etc. And unfortunately, this is being discarded and people do uh, a little bit, uh, French say à la peu près. Uh, that? So, what do they say? À, 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 à peu près means uh, about the way it works generally. And Ooh, for okay. some it will work, for others it will not work. Do you ever notice how uh, every word in French is sexy? It doesn't matter what it stands for, what it means. <laughs> it just always sounds so good. I'm sorry, I interrupted. I uh, don't, no worries. I, I wish I could, I could uh, think of that. But anyway, maybe I'm used to French, so I don't, I don't, I don't hear it this way. It is, it is. Uh, so um, a lot of people still believe, unfortunately, that root canal treated teeth are more brittle. So uh, a little bit, and this is actually an analogy that's given in, in, in some, by, by, some, by some colleagues in their offices. I hear them when they talk, they, they talk about this. Even it's given in lectures and they, they compare uh, root canal treated teeth and they call it a dead tooth. Mm. Uh, and they, they, a tooth doesn't die with the root canal. It dies with the periodontium. Right. You can, yeah. So uh, they compare it. They, they give the, the example of a, of, a, of a green stick and a dead branch. Hmm. So a green stick would be a little bit of, you have a little bit of flexibility, etc. Whereas a dead branch, if you push on it, it breaks. Now, <clears throat> if you want to compare apples to apples, quality-wise, so a, a, a tooth that's actually doesn't have caries, but just root canal treated. So if you want to, to compare the, the quality, the, the main difference that you're going to see between a root canal treated tooth and a vital tooth is that one contains pulp and the other doesn't, that's it. So the first thing is that the pulp tissue contains pressoceptors and these are going to pro give provide a protective feedback mechanism to the tooth. So basically what I'm saying is that to some extent, you can push on a non-vital uh, tooth more than you can push on a vital one. But then you also have pressoceptors in the periodontal ligament. So, but this is one of the differences. Uh, also, as since you have removed the pulp 
So you have at the internal surface of the root canal uh, cavity, you have collagen degradation. This has been described by Pashley, by Ferrari. Um, and this has been described by, by many uh, papers. Now you can, there are also papers on how you stabilize the interface using flavonoids, et cetera. But basically what happens is your, your collagen, you have collagen degradation, the collagen fibers lose their turnover. Uh, at least at the surface of the that doesn't happen uh, on, a, on a big depth. It's, it hasn't been quantified. Now, uh, Jim Goodman, uh, who's a very good friend, quantified this in one of his papers published in the JPD in 1992 to about 14%, the, the, the loss of hydration and the modification of collagen crosslinks. They, they quantified this to about 14%. Now there is a, a counterpoint to that. There is another study that's also published in 1992, very interesting study, very, very elegant design actually by, by Sedley and uh, collaborators. And what they did is they extracted the, the teeth that were going to be extracted for orthodontic reasons. So premolars, and they did root canal on one and they left the second one. So they tested contralateral peers. So things that could be actually uh, compared. And what they found out is that you had basically little or no difference. You have little reduction, reduction of toughness, but not, not that significant. So, and this has been confirmed by other studies, namely a study by, by Herbert Childer and Don Nathanson in, in 1992. And I, I talk about these older studies just to make the point that this is something that's been known for a while. And uh, unfortunately, people still believe that you, you might have... Uh, big changes in the uh, in the quality of the dentin for uh, root canal treated teeth. So the most obvious question is uh, what I, what I find intriguing that minimally invasive uh, minimally invasive access makes sense. You want to preserve the pericervical dentin. But a lot of the pictures that you see is they're doing them through existing restorations. So I don't know what that means or why they would do it uh, if you follow Paul Abbott's work you know, he used to, everything was get rid of the filling, put an ortho band around it and go to work, which in and of itself seems inherently logical. However, it, really what makes the difference is preservation of marginal ridges, the amount of tooth structure that is residual. And so the, there's all these formulaic algorithmic approaches to how you restore the teeth based on one wall, two wall, three wall is the marginal ridge intact. Don't go through the transverse oblique bridge. I mean, all of this has inherently always been logical. The only difference is we're not gutting the chamber to do straight line access. So in the, in the grand scheme of things, what's your algorithm in terms of coronal tooth structure retention? Okay, so uh, first I'd like to comment on the first thing that you said, because this is something that, that is close to my heart, the, the cavity access, the access cavity. When, when, you, when you treat something, all right? Um, basically, mainly doing the access cavity through a small through through a composite. When you have a pulp pathology, and uh, Domenico Ricucci puts it very clearly, pulp pathology comes from bacteria. When you have pulp pathology, or you have a failing root canal treatment, first of all, you have to identify the cause. Right. So, when when I very often I have teeth that look okay but the patient has a pulpitis. He has the clinical symptoms of a pulpitis and I need to do a root canal treatment. The very first thing I do when I do my access, 
I try to identify the, 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 the way of entry of the irritant mm. bacteria mm. or otherwise. Right. If I don't identify this, if I leave this way of entry, whatever treatment I do later is, is, is bound to fail. It's not going to work. It's not going to last. It's like when you have a leaking uh, pipe, you, you don't change the tiles. First of all, you identify the leak, you close the leak, mm. and right. then you repair what happened. So <clears throat> this is this is as far as it goes for the for the uh, for the access cavity. So um, it, it doesn't make much sense to do a small access cavity to preserve the rigidity of the tooth. If by doing so you were going to endanger the quality of your root canal treatment, right. again this has been proven backwards, sideways, front to the to the the way you want, and several times and by big names. It doesn't make any sense to make a very, very small access. You're complicating things for yourself. You're putting added, uh, added tension on your instruments. You're increasing the risk of breakage. You're reducing the quality of your irrigation because you have to take into, into context also the, you, the effect of the shape that you give on hydrodynamics. Right. right? And we are working on this with the, with the university with the University of Besançon. As soon as I talk about something French, the French accent comes there back. There you go. Very, very nice. <laughs> So the, the university, university de Besançon. So we are working on this, <clears throat> and we have some projects uh, because the hydrodynamics have been explored in a way, uh, but they have not been explored in, in a clinical way. In 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 in, um, in my view, so there there is an angle that has not been taken into consideration in the hydrodynamic studies that have been published so far, and we're working on that. So you need to open, make, make your life simple. Don't complicate stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And second, for preservation of the marginal ridges, it's not something new, right? This minimally invasive dentistry thing is not new. When I was at, at the university in the 80s, I have been taught to preserve dentin. Mm. And I assume you have been taught to do the same. Nobody yes. has taught yes. us to destroy dentin to repair. We had to remove as much, this was the sentence, you remove as much, as you need to do mm -hmm. the treatment mm -hmm. and not more. Right. That was it, it says everything. So this is in my view, minimally invasive dentistry is not making a small hole that is going to complicate your life. Now, <clears throat> the marginal ridges, these structures, if you can maintain them, if there is a if before, if you can maintain them, then of course they should be maintained. The marginal ridges are, and this here comes engineering. Uh, these link the buckle to the palatal side. They, they, they uh, compensate the stresses that are generated by the occlusion and the masticatory forces by joining these, these two faces uh, side. There, is, there are studies that has been done, uh, interferometer studies that show that when you cut these, when you do an MOD, you relieve the tension that is actually linking these two sides and the cusps, you have what is called cusp deflection. So the cusps will go a little bit uh, away from one another and you lose the, the protective effect. So of course, you have to keep them as much as you can and protect them as much as you can without endangering, again, the root canal treatment. Hmm. So, so, I, so I, I, I'm curious, no, it makes a lot, I mean, it obviously makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, I, I just find it odd. Are you trying to achieve an axis for the purposes of uh, seeing how small you can make them? Or are you focused on the biologic need of the tooth? Like, what's the balance is, here? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is when I am asked 
about the, the, the size of the access. I tell them it depends what you intend to do. If you want to treat your patient, then do a regular access. If you want to post <laughs> on Facebook, then do a minimal There access. you go. It's the Facebook access. There we go. There's a new test. Yes. This week, we got a new one, the Facebook access. So in terms of uh, what are the unsung aspects of endodontics, at least from my perspective, is occlusal dynamics. You know, not just parafunction, yes. but occlusion. That is probably the least commented upon word in endodontics, the occlusal impact it has, not only on a tooth causing endo, but on a tooth that's had endo. So does it matter how you restore a tooth depending on where it's located in the arch? Yeah, of course, of course, because uh, one of the things when I, when I talk to my students, uh, I always tell them the same thing. You know, you have the tooth and at the end of the tooth, you have the patient. Yeah. So uh, the tooth is, unfortunately, it's linked to a patient. So you cannot just do it as you do it inside, uh, inside the hands-on or, or uh, when you're training. You have to take into consideration the patient. And unfortunately, all patients are not alike. So <clears throat> first of all, depending, you have also, the, to start with, you have the type of the tooth. You have incisors, you have canines, you have premolars, and you have molars. And they're different for a reason. Each one has a different function. And you have to respect this function when you conceive in your mind the restoration. Uh, that, that's that's uh, for a part. So, so molars, premolars would actually get more of vertical forces, whereas uh, incisors and canines should, should, should resist more to, to, to lateral uh, movements, lateral uh, excursions. Now, <clears throat> you also have the fact that you have to take into consideration since you, you must have a global view of what's happening. It's not just the tooth, because especially when you place the rubber dam, then it's only the tooth, right? So this actually rubber dam is good in this way, it's bad in another way in the fact that you don't see what's happening around, uh, especially if you're looking through a microscope. So uh, there is also the point of having neighboring teeth. You have teeth that are alone on the arch. You have teeth that have one proximal contact. You have teeth that are two proximal contacts. So just to give an idea, there is a very, very interesting also study that was published by Kaplan in 2002 in the IAGA, I think. And it was a, they calculated the, uh, the 10 years survival rate of about 200 teeth, 200 something. And they found out that when you have no proximal contact, you have about 17% of survival rate. When you had one proximal contact, you have 47. And when you had two proximal contacts, then this number would rise to about 75, 76, about, about, this, about this area. Uh, the, the point is when you have several teeth, then your occlusal load is distributed over a wider span. So, so you can take a little bit more liberties. But when, when you have a tooth that is like, has one, uh, no, no contact or one contact, it might be also used as an abutment for a fixed or removable partial uh, uh, prosthesis. So uh, all this has to be taken in, in, in consideration when you conceive the final restoration and you have to prepare from the moment you, 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 uh, you plan to do the endo sometimes you just see that if you do the endo, you're going to restore a tooth that is not going to have a long lifespan. It depends on a lot of things. I have a very good friend also that I'm not going to name, <laughs> but he says that he would like his, his endodontic treatment or his treatment as all to last one day more than his patient. <laughs> so, okay, let's not mention who that is because that's sort of a very, uh, that's a very draconian comment. It's interesting what you just brought up. I was uh, trained as a, I did perioprosthesis for a long time before I went into endo. And I would routine, well, 
granted, you had to get the, uh, the referring dentist to buy into it. But I would prep all the teeth before I did the endo. Take everything out, prep the teeth, establish the ferrule, find out if I was going to have issues with biologic width. That was done before I actually started doing the root canal. Now, I'm not going to, I don't have a retrospective analysis of my success rates. But, but I have to say that, you know, when you're working blind through this massive restoration with current decay, whatever, 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 which again, I, you know, all kudos to Paul Abbott. But is that logical? I mean, that's a, that's a personal bias. But it really established what you were going to restore the tooth with at the end of the root canal procedure. That wasn't coming out of left field. So your thoughts. Exactly. The, is that exactly. a reasonable way of doing it? I mean, is that, I mean, I know it's antithetical to the traditional approach, but wouldn't it well, make more sense? I see, of course, I see a lot of stuff, people posting beautiful endo cases on, on Facebook. And then you see, actually it's done either through a restoration or the temporary restoration is placed with a, with a, with a wide opening or, but the endo is beautiful in itself. Right. Because right. actually the, 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 shape, the shape that you get on the x-rays is basically more or less the shape of the instrument. Right. We don't really have a problem with obtaining these shapes anymore because no. the instrument gives the shape. So, uh, unfortunately, but the biological part, because when you do root canals, it's you treat biology first and then you need to restore biomechanics. Right. Uh, and if you don't eliminate everything that is on top that you don't need, that is not going to stay, you cannot see what's beneath. Very no. If you do this, and I've had, I've, I did this in, in, in my, my first years and very, I do the root canal and then I remove everything and I see that the tooth is actually not restorable, mm -hmm. which is, and it's going to be a, an impediment for the patient. So uh, I hope that impediment means what, what I wanted it to mean. It's, it's going to be catastrophic. Li liability. Let's say liability. They paid for it. Sounds like a good word. Exactly. What's the word in liability. French? What would impediment be in French? Let's make it sound really good. <laughs> liability in english would be fine okay so fair enough you need you need you need to give to, to the patient something that is going to last when when i treat a patient and when it is a single tooth i expect it to last about eight to twelve years anything above this is plus for the patient if he comes back after a year or two then i did not do my job it's not because i have a good x-ray it's not immediately when the patient goes off my chair that i see the result this is not the result this is just now, but the patient came to me so he can keep his tooth for a longer time. So th this is this is how. But these are ways of thinking. These are uh, philosophies of treatment, mm -hmm. which change from dentist to dentist. But what you say made perfect sense, and you should know that actually this is coming back to uh, now with the um, with the digital era. People are, mm -hmm. but not for the same reasons. What they do is they prep. They mm -hmm. take the scan, yep. and while the machine is milling, they do the endo, and then they place the endo crown. Listen to you. Yes, absolutely. That's what, <laughs> that's what scanners are going to... That is the reality. When, 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 when it's suggested to an endodontist that they buy a scanner, they can do a preliminary prep for the dentist so that the dentist's actual timeline is so dramatically reduced, and the patient is protected. Hey, you know, with 3D printing, I, I know you're going to have to find the balance between the endodontist, the referring dentist, or anybody who's doing endo. I mean, North America, it's a little more segmented, but that makes such inherently good sense to deliver the milled restoration immediately after the root canal is completed. That's taking every X factor out of the game. That's fantastic. Yes, I, I, I could, uh, in French is 
mettre un bémol. Donc, I, I would actually uh, doubt you on this a tiny bit. And what you said says makes extremely perfect sense. The restoration should be placed as soon as possible. This, this, mm. there is, there are no questions about it. It's just the question of the endocrine. That's my issue. Oh, the endocrine. Yes. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Yes. That still is a uh, the jury is still out on that one. So I was going to ask you to do a brief historical overview of posts, but we would be here till tomorrow. I mean, there probably have been twelve thousand different post systems over the course of time. Screw posts. Whale dent uh, became the parapost, and there were this post, tapered post, that post, this post. So let's talk about fiber posts. I mean, we can go historical. You do a spectacular evaluation of the history of cast posts, et cetera. But we're in a fiber post adhesion era. So let's talk about them, how they're engineered, their elasticity, the design, the stress distribution, and the physical properties. The, the part in your presentation is extraordinarily comprehensive. But if we could get sort of like an abridged version, abridged, abridged version of that, like in, in a general consensus way, what do you see in the market that people should be looking for in terms of all those parameters? First of all, you have to, to the, the people who use fiber posts should understand that there is a paradigm shift. A fiber post does not replace a metal post per se. So it's mm -hmm. not just taking, uh, not putting a metal post. You have to understand that the physics are completely different, the materials are completely different, and the needs are completely different. So fiber posts, just if you want to, I'm, I'm just going to say two two sentences about the the history because I need to say two things. First, they they were created back in 1990, where I was still a student at the University of Montpellier in France, mm -hmm. and by Jean-François Duret, and the first paper that, that was published was published in 1990 and they were not white they were black because that was, the, that was rtd the carbon fiber post were, right yeah exactly they were mm -hmm. carbon fiber posts and with the fibers angle at 35 degrees pre-stressed etc etc embedded in the matrix and they had their issues and they were resolved uh, but very importantly for those who use prefabricated posts please do not use the the, uh, the screws the, the ones that screw themselves the self-tapping because these create uh, stresses inside the dentin, mm -hmm. and you can see them on all the studies that do photoelastimetry, you will see this brilliantly. So if you have them, just send them to a museum or just throw them away. Or hang Don't pictures, hang pictures on the wall. They have some use. Yes, they they beautifully. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so to go back to fiber posts, uh, fiber posts are uh, composite posts. Fiber mm -hmm. reinforced, the, the, the exact term is fiber reinforced composite resin for, uh, post. So <clears throat> uh, they are composed of two things. You have the fibers, which are can be glass fibers or quartz fibers or carbon fibers, as we said, and you have the matrix. Now the primary function of the fibers is to carry the loads along their longitudinal direction. This is why you need to know engineering a little bit, All right? And this is, this is the curse of dentistry. You have to understand all this stuff. And the, the primary function of the matrix is to transfer the stresses between the reinforcing fibers to keep the fibers together and to protect those fibers from the mechanical or the environmental damages, right? So this gives that. So when you have this post, this structure, then you would, you would end up with a modulus of elasticity about 20, similar to that of Denton, and we're speaking giga Pascal, 
Whereas the metal, to give in comparison, the metal would be around 200, so 10 times the modulus of elasticity of dentin. Titanium would be around 100, 110, something like this, and gold would be around 80. So <clears throat> the stress distribution inside post is also different. If you have a conical post, whether metal or otherwise, we're speaking, especially actually, you see it especially in, in, in metallic posts. When you have a metallic post that is conical, then your stress is going to be concentrated on the cervical part and it's going to act like a wedge. Whereas if you have a, a cylindrical post, the, the stress is going to be concentrated in the lower part at the angles. Uh, so deeper inside the, the, the root. Uh, in fiber posts, and there are a lot of uh, finite element analyses that were done and show that, uh, that contrary to metallic posts where you have concentration of stresses, the fiber posts tend to distribute the stresses alongside the, the length of the, the, the root canal. Right. And this is why they, they, you know, we say that a post does not strengthen your tooth. This is the classical view. And with the studies that we did, we always, we always had superior resistance to fracture when you were talking, when you were placing a fiber post inside the root canal. So uh, because it distributes the stresses, it improves the fracture resistance. So that's, that's the, 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 in brief, in, in really in very brief. So David Clark and John Cottamy have been very big proponents of how to restore endodontically treated teeth. And, and, and I don't believe that they consider the use of posts relevant. Uh, Dr. Clark's technique, uh, he avoids um, bulk pack. No, wait a minute, he bulk packs, he doesn't layer. There's all these different contexts and how to place the composite itself. So that, that was sort of a segue into, we sort of started talking about who should place them and when. Depending on the country that you happen to live in, you choose who's going to place them. Obviously, there will always be a political football in North America. Endodontists should be doing them. Restorative dentists should be doing them. Endodontists don't want to do them. They do want to do them, whatever. But the key was when. Because we still see this craziness with you have this mucky piece of cotton stuck beneath over the chamber. You don't bond the floor. You don't do anything with it. You stick some cabot or some glass ionomer cement. And that's how it goes back to the referring dentist in many cases, or the, the dentist doesn't want to do it. He's not prepared to do it right away. He leaves this temporary um, uh, kettle of uh, microbiologic soup on the work that he's just done. So how do you change that paradigm? Honey? What, what do you just, how do you make people wake up to the fact that the time to treat it is when it's being done? And we, it just so in, it's just so, uh, diametrically opposite the biologic logic to, to walk away after the root canal has been done and do nothing. Yeah, but you, you actually put your put your finger on, on the wound, like they say uh, in French. They say mettre le doigt sur la blessure. There we go again with that French. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. That's okay. Loving, loving so every minute back. of it. All right. <laughs> All right. So the the idea is as follows. You, you actually said something that's quite interesting. And it starts at the university. You have also in the departments, and I've, I've been through, uh, at, the, at the Lebanese university, we've been, we've been through a fight like this. Who should do the post? So the prosthodontists were adamant they should do the post. The endodontists said, oh, no, we should do the post. Well, when should you should do the, first of all, it's not, 
who should, uh, it's not a question of just choosing blindly, all right? First of all, when you do endodontics, you respond to a biological uh, imperative, right? And you obtain biological results. You reduce the bacterial population and you create a habitat that is unsuitable for bacterial growth. And you need to maintain those results if you expect long-term success. Now, if you just close the tooth, and here I would like to, this is a clinical tip or call it what you want. When I have to send the case back because the prosthodontist uh, uh, insists on doing the treatment himself, I don't place a cotton. I pack cavity all the way down to the axis okay. and I okay. block. So I have more than five millimeters of cavity inside my, my, my axis and it's completely closed. If he wants to restore it, I have no problem. I will not do the post space either because when you I redo my post space, I reduce the size of my seal. If he wants to do the thing, he does the thing and he will hold it. <clears throat> and I tell the patient, I, I'm, I'm, I'm that, that nasty. I tell the patient that if he's not going to do the post under root, under rubber dam, then I'm not responsible for the results. Wow, okay. Listen to you right, so putting the hammer down. If, 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 if the prosthodontist wants to do it, he's welcome to do it. I have no problem. After all, we are both serving the patient and we need to have, uh, we're collaborating. We're not against each other. It's, 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 it's not, uh, I'm sorry to, to use the term, it's not a pissing contest. All right. So uh, it, is, it is very simple. If he wants to do it, he should have two things. He should have a rubber dam to preserve the work that I did, and he has to respect my work in the way I respect his, mm -hmm. and he must have knowledge of the root canal system. Because if he doesn't know, knowledge actually two things, the root canal system and the root anatomy, because the root, canatom, the root canal is inside the, 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 the root. And if he doesn't know the anatomy of the root, and I've seen a lot of cases like this where the dentist the, uh, neglected the concavity, the the, um, uh, the distal concavity of uh, the mesial root of the lower molar, then you have perforations, right? And the patient will be sent back to you to repair whatever he did, all right? So he needs to know the anatomy. When, whenever you're doing surgery in, in any discipline, not only dentistry, you need to know the anatomy. So anatomy of the canal, anatomy, and he needs to maintain, if, he, if there are these uh, three conditions, by all means, he can do the post. I have no problems. And the patient is instructed as such. So, so, and it has to be done as fast as possible. The way you said, you know, John yeah. Kennedy said, the right time to repair the uh, the roof is when the sun is shining. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. John Kennedy said that. I thought he said something about Marilyn yeah. Monroe. Wasn't that his comment? No. <laughs> CNN has a show on tonight. It just popped into my head. So, so this is a question. We are living in a three D era. Let's be perfectly candid. Canals are ovoid. That's what they are. Yes. They're ovoid. They're eccentric. Yes. Yes. They don't come in the round. That's not reality. Posts come in the round. Yes. So my question to you is, can you envisage an era in which where posts are required, regardless of the tooth, that we could actually 3D print the post at the time of the actual root canal procedure, and then either send it back to the referring dentist or actually do the work ourselves? Is that under study? Is that a consideration? Does that make we, any we sense published. whatsoever? Excuse me? We already, published, we already published on this. 
Well, I thought I, I thought I patented it. No, wait, you did? You published? <laughs> okay, so hold on. I had this great idea that went, no, you've published on this? Yes, yes. It's, uh, these are studies done by Dr. Rita Aydin. She did her PhD on. So she, um, we, we, we take impressions and we, we, we mill them, actually. Okay. We, we, have, we take fiber-reinforced blocks and we mill the posts out of uh, this. So uh, that's how it works. Um, yeah, so uh, it can be done. It can be done. Now, the question is, do you need to do it? Because yes. there are studies that have been done on uh, anatomical fiber-reinforced posts, so posts that would be molded to the shape of the canal, mm -hmm. then uh, uh, in the same way you would do with, uh, uh, what's the name of the thread resin again that you use for the post? I haven't used it in a uh, Duralay. Early, same yes. way they use it to, right. to, to, yeah. to have an anatomical post. Mm -hmm. And then they would seat it. The, the, the conclusions of the study are where that there is no need to do that because oh, no you, don't have there is, you don't have better results. Okay. All right. Okay. Because the, thought... the, the idea is that when you use an anatomical post, when it is a metal post, you have different uh, strata. You have the metal part, mm -hmm. then you have the cement, then you have the dentin. Here you would have resin amongst which you have embedded fiber posts, but this is resin. All of it is resin. Right. Right. So, oh, okay. So uh, I see what you're the concept again. The concept is different. So this is all so the, van, is the van der the van der Waals forces and all that kind of stuff factor into it at this point. Is that how that yeah. works? The, the idea is the, the, the thing inside, what, whatever you're going to seal inside, has to work as a monoblock. And I'm, speaking, monoblock. About, I'm speaking about the post. I'm not speaking about the post and the tooth. Okay, right? right. The post and whatever you place inside the canal is a monoblock, right? What, what is outside, the, the, the relation between the post and the tooth is definitely not a monoblock. has nothing to do with it, right? Okay. Because in order to have a monoblock, first you would have you should have similar moduli of elasticity, okay. which you do have, but you should have forces that would bond these two components together that would resist the external forces, and this is what we do not have. Okay. So the, the question. Bonding, I, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, it's fine. I'll take the, the no, bonding I was just, forces I was thinking outside. the canal are very weak. Sorry, I lost you there for a sec. That's okay. The, no, I'm the, saying the. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I just yeah. <laughs> you don't have to shut up. I have to <laughs> shut up. It's I, I need to get a better headset. No, I the, the, the question I had was in what you're discussing, given that we have zirconium and dilithium silicate, all the Emacs, etc., do we really need to put posts in bicuspids and molar teeth? Given that we have all these fan, like the milling of so the, the internal scanning, the micron differentiation. Uh, I know you don't like endocrowns, I, I agree, but um, do we really need them? Are we really at that point where they're necessary? It's, it's not, it's not, uh, well, let, let me put it this way. Whatever treatment you're doing, whatever treatment you're doing, the way you are doing it and why you're delivering it is actually you are putting a bet. You're placing a bet. You are betting that with your knowledge, your uh, wisdom, your ego, your information, your materials, your, your hand skills, you are able to heal the patient or treat the patient in this specific way. My question is simple. If you lose the bet, 
who is going to win it? Yeah. It's definitely not the patient. So if there is anything that I can do from my side that may improve, may improve, I'm not saying that it is going to improve, but it may improve. It's not going to make things worse, but it may improve the outcome of whatever treatment I'm doing, then by all means, I will do it. So, so what you're, what you're what saying- What we have found- Sorry, go ahead. We're, we're doing, I'm so doing the same we, thing. I'm losing you here. Go ahead, I'm sorry, finish up. Yeah, so what, what, we're do, what, what we found out during our studies, and we did really a, a lot of publications on the subject, and we destroyed a huge amount of teeth, mm -hmm. right? Again, this is benchtop. You will always be able to do something clinical right. that, that works without this. Right. But what we found benchtop is that the resistance was increased or it was never diminished. It was always increased hmm. or the same. But what is very important in practically all cases, the fracture pattern, if the, fa if the restoration fails, the fracture pattern is favorable for a retreat. So you, have, you get a second chance at rewriting history. Whereas if you don't, in about like half the cases, you lose the tooth. Hmm. So, and, and my question again is simple. What do I have to lose if I place a fiber post? No, You're asking what do I have to gain? I'm asking what do I have to lose? Nothing. What, where, what, you, you described- And the dentist. patient is going to pay for it. Well, you described, you, you presented an interesting concept. I mean, it was funny when I was listening to you and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but as I was listening to you talk about betting and winning and how do you do this? So now we have the dentist as a croupier, right? We have him as uh, a Somehow, croupier. yes. He's a croupier. Well, there we go. A little more French. So there's a nice word we can use. Next lecture, <laughs> say you're a croupier. Now, this is a question that, has, uh, that, that I've often wondered and only because uh, as I've done these interviews and whatnot, I've gotten to know more and more people who are doing like exquisite restoration in porcelain, the ceramics. So here's my question. I hope it makes some sense. Given that a lot of the materials today, the, the concerns about the lucency, light reflection, we're far more into hue and chroma than we ever were in the PFM era. Does it make sense for posts to become dentin colored and used with dentin colored composite to restore the teeth? to ensure that the final aesthetic result is improved? So, <clears throat> now, the idea of the fiber post to start with was based on biomechanics. So Francois Duré was, was talking about modulus of elasticity, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he did the posts black. So he had, right. had absolutely no aesthetics in mind. Again, it is aesthetics that drove the fiber posts, that put them on the market. It's the fact that you have something that is tooth colored uh, as compared to something that is not tooth colored. Uh, now, the idea of having them the color of dentin is from, I, I'm not a specialist in aesthetics. I know a little bit. And from the little bit I know is that it is not the color of dentin that's interesting as much as the translucency. A lot of people who do the restorations now play on the translucency to, re, to restore the aesthetic uh, aspect. So uh, here again, when you, if you work into aesthetics, but I think people who do aesthetics will understand this better than me, uh, you should go to translucent fiber posts rather than opaque ones, even though they're white. Okay. So zirconia okay. posts are out obviously because mm -hmm. also of their modulus of elasticity, 
So you should rather go to a translucent post that is going to improve the translucency of your restoration and give it more vibrance and more life. So this is as much as I can tell you on aesthetics. I'm again, I'm not, I'm very far from being the specialist in this. Well, you, you need to get another PhD, the endo aesthetic restoration <laughs> of the, there we go. Now this is, this is the, uh, I, I, I really hate to ask this question. We should have buried this uh, decades ago, but there used to be, again, given my background, there was a time when you placed a post within three millimeters of the apical terminus. That's how you got retention, right? That's how far down the post went. And there's always the question of well, where does the post go to? If you, and, and so in an era where there are gonna be these incredibly minimally prepared canals, and there may be a need for a post. How do you determine post length as things have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller in the root canal system? Well, that, that's that's the beauty of, of um, uh, that's a beautiful aspect of fiber posts. Is uh, first of all, when when you place a post, the, the classical view is you place a post to uh, hold the core because you have nothing to hold the core to and then came adhesive restorations. This is why people now tell you, I can place the, I can restore the whole tooth without placing a post because it is adhesive. Mm -hmm. So now we don't need the post to actually hold the restoration. What I need the post for, this is why I'm saying at the beginning, it was a change mm -hmm. of paradigm. I need the post to transfer the forces and yes. to give me a favorable, favorable fracture line in case I have a failure. Uh, so I don't need the post really to go deep. And there are studies that have been made. Uh, several studies were published on the, the, the depth of the post. And all you need is five to seven millimeters. You don't need to go to two thirds or, or go beyond the, the uh, uh, go beyond the uh, middle height of the bone and stay. Of course, you always have to stay within the four millimeters. But if you are just at this at the entrance, then you should be fine. But one thing that, that you said is, is quite interesting about how minimal, and now our preparations are very small. Wherever post you choose has, it makes no sense to remove dentin to increase the strength mm. of the tooth. So you should not have a predetermined side depending on the size. Some people say, because I have an incisor, then I'm going to place a blue post on a size 60 or whatever. Or because I have a molar, now I'm going to use a yellow. The post should be fit according to the size that is left by the endodontic treatment. And because sometimes you have oval canals, you can place several small posts. Actually, it's always better to place several small posts than one big one. Uh, so whenever you can place two, I, I routinely place like two or three posts in, mm -hmm. in, in oval canals, if, if they fit again. If so I tell, my, yeah. I tell my assistant, give me uh, one, depending on the size of the canal, I, I tell her, give me two yellows or one red and one yellow. And I try them on. And the ones that fit best, then these are the ones that I'm going to use. Right? And again, you do not need to go more than five to seven millimeters inside the root canal. There is no point in going. I see people that place fiber posts very close to the apex. That's prostodontist. Prostodontist. Yeah, they're an evil group. <laughs> they are really a dangerous group of people. So I, I, I would like to sort of get down to the nitty gritty meat and the, uh, the heart of the matter. So we're going to do this in a sort of a, a sort of a, an odd way. Let's pretend I'm a root canal and I am the walls of a root canal. Prepare me. Okay. Prepare me. That's a very ridiculous context, isn't it? So <laughs> let, woo, where was I coming from that one? In any case, 
let's assume <laughs> that you have the space, you've chosen your post. Tell me, uh, I, 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 the reason I'm asking the question is I remember years ago, Levi Steyer would say, well, you need to put salicylic acid down there. And everybody would look at him, what, what are you crazy? You're gonna crush aspirin, make it in a slurry. And that's what you put into a post space. And he understood porcelain and he understood things that perhaps others didn't. And that was his thing and he was right. And so the, the question is, starting from soup to nuts, this is your little tray protocol. How do you condition the dentin in order to receive the post and, and cement right. it to place? If you want to bond after root canal treatment, since you have used sodium hypochlorite, you have to use salicylate. Uh -huh. 30 minutes to, to eliminate the effect of the uh, sodium hypochlorite, the, the free radicals. All right, the peroxide. Bless so you, Lieber. Yes. Yes. So uh, there are also papers on this published. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you need to bond, all right, so wherever you need to bond, you need to prep the dentin, or you can just take a fine grit or, uh, and, and just remove a very thin layer of dentin because the, the effect is not that deep, all right? So you don't need to remove like two millimeters to... <clears throat> but you can also place salicylate, wait for a couple of minutes and then rinse it and then you're ready to bond. Now, or you can delay the restoration, but you need to cover and uh, protect. Uh, you, you delay by, by about two weeks and then you can place your, you can bond again. Uh, so this is, this is the idea about using the salicylate. Uh, then you, you need me to walk you step by step. By how it's Absolutely, done. pretend I'm six years old. I'm very stupid. <laughs> So, so you have you, you need to prepare your post space. Mm -hmm. So either you do a, if you did a down pack, then you don't do a backpack, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you you did a single cone, let's say you just use a touching heat and you you clear the, the coronal part. Right. I'd rather not use drills uh, as much as possible, and you need really to clean inside the the root canal. Uh, you can use uh, ultrasonic inserts, not the ultrasonic that stay inside the, the excess cavity because they will not do anything. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can use uh, instruments that are going to clean inside like the Expiendo finisher, for instance. Um, so once you have your post space that is ready and you have cleaned, you have to identify where you have enamel and you will do a selective etching on the enamel. And once you have done that, uh, you can you can do this. What I'm going to say now, you can do it before or after. You have to select a post or a number of posts. And when you select the post, the problem is people generally take the post, place it, um, and then they cut. They, they, everybody considers that you sell, you adjust the post just by cutting the coronal part. You can also cut the apical part. Mm -hmm. If your post fits and you feel that it is a bit loose, you can cut the apical part and bring it a bit deeper and then it will fit better. The idea is to reduce the amount of cement around the post. Same thing, when you have right. polymerization right. shrinkage. Right. So the least amounts of cement that you can have, the better it is going to be. Now, once you have done that, uh, so you have prepared your space, you have etched the, the and of course, everything is, is on the rubber dam. Mm -hmm. uh, this, is, this is primordial. Uh, and you, again, you do not need to go more than, than five to seven millimeters. Uh, what I do, and I have also a paper on this, is 
I have what, what you have seen about the fiber post is the first lecture. This is a series of three lectures. The right. second one is about interfaces. Um, what, what I do is the post in and off itself is non-bondable. You cannot bond something to a post. You cannot place composite and bond it to a post. It will not stick. Mm -hmm. You will not have chemical. You will actually not have, it might stick, but you will not have chemical adhesion for a very simple reason. The post is completely polymerized, right? So it has no free radicals on the surface and you will not have any bonding. So what you have is actually micro-mechanical interlocking between the resin and the, uh, and the post. And this is why in some of the studies that we did, we found out that if you place a flowable resin on the post, it actually sticks better to the post. You need more force to dislodge the post from the resin. Now, the best way to do it is to take the most flowable resin that we have. So what I do is I take the post and I place bonding on it. Now, the bonding is extremely fluid. It's going to go inside every... Uh, pour. Now, if you if you have a post system that will actually show fibers on the surface, right? Uh, then you can actually place also silane before you start for a minute, and then you dry it, and then you place your bonding. Then you will have those hydrogen bonds between the uh, silane uh, and the resin of the of the bonding. So you place your bonding, and when, when once the funny thing is when you place your bonding, your, your post is translucent. When you place your bonding on it, it's like coating it with water; it becomes transparent. So you can see where you placed it and where you didn't place it. It's actually quite something. And then once you dry it, you remove all the solvent, exactly as, as we do, and then you polymerize. And what you get is a bondable post. Now you, your, your ah, resin is going, okay. to, going to bond to the bonding. And uh, I have a paper that was published in the Journal of Adhesive Dentistry on this back in 2008, I think. And we showed that you get actually increase in, resin, in, in, uh, in bonding by about... 300%. So it's three times more you bond by. Okay. It's just about creating good interfaces because right. these are the good interfaces that are going to resist the function because the tooth has one uh, is, 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 has to go into function. And this is what is going to give you a better chance at getting a big lifespan in your restoration. Once you have done this, now you have your bondable post. Personally, I do not believe in bonding inside root canals. So what I do is I dry the root canal perfectly and I just use dual cure self-adhesive self cement. Hmm. Okay. Right? And I use it and I use it as a cement, as we used to cement the old metal posts. Okay. Right? So I inject it inside. You have to get the elongation tips to make sure that you don't have any bubbles. And once you have done this, then you can place your post. What I do also is I start restoring the undercuts of my restoration prior of placing the post, because if you place the post, then the post is going to hinder your placement of composite. So it's more right. convenient to start right. restoring the cavity. And sometimes I always go to the extent of uh, placing a post that I discard later, uh, placing a post and then packing the composite around it. I do not... Um, I cannot condone the placement of bulk fill. Even if you're using bulk fill, I use bulk fill, right? Mm -hmm. But I do not use it as bulk. I use it in layers of two millimeters. Okay. Because the way the companies, once you understand the way the companies calculate the degree of conversion, four millimeters from the source of light, you understand that this cannot be done clinics or you have to at least double the exposure time, the, the, the polymerization time. So <clears throat> I layer in two millimeters. So I place my post that's not bonded. 
all right? So it's just a dummy post. And I layer composite around it. And when I, once I'm finished and polymerize everything, once I remove the dummy post, then I have the post impression. So I have really very little sealer inside, the very little uh, cement inside the canal. And uh, I get very good adaptation. And that's how I restore the, the tooth. And then normally, normally, uh, I'm still old school, as I said. So I still send the patient to have a crown on top. Mm -hmm. You said because something. Because I that, always look at the long term. Well, you said something that again. I keep stepping on your lines. I'm sorry. Um, the you said something that was really intriguing. I think that it's something that anybody who's restoring endodontically treated teeth should have, and that's the XP finisher. What an awesome instrument for cleaning up the residue yes. that's residual in a root canal space, especially in warm vertical. It's just outstanding. Um, I don't know what the market penetration is here in North America. But uh, the shaper was difficult. But the finisher, shaper for retreatment, the finisher for anybody who's restoring teeth with posts. What an awesome, awesome instrument. And, and, and even prior to doing irrigation, I mean, even in these new, the son endo eras, I still think the, 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 the finisher might have a place. Who knows? Zero taper. Uh, the, finish, the, the finisher has, uh, I'm sorry. I'm into, I'm, you can interrupt I'm me. I've been interrupting you the whole time. Uh, so we're good friends, so yeah, we, can, that's okay. we can provide them each other. So um, there are studies, there is a study, a particular study that's very often quoted in lectures where they mm -hmm. show you that the XP shaper, the XP finisher, I'm sorry, is equivalent to the, uh, there are no significant differences between the XP uh, finisher and the ultrasonics. Mm -hmm. This is not precisely true because if you take a look deeper into the study, you will see that the XP endo finisher is better in the apical part. Wow. And less good in the coronal part, whereas the ultrasonics are worse, are not that good in the apical part, but they're very good in the coronal part. So what I do very simply, I have, I have no, no uh, allegiance to any type of technique. What I do is very simply, and I have both in my office. So I use the finisher in the apical part and the ultrasonics in the coronal part. Hmm. Easy. My allegiance right. is to the patient. Well, there's a take-home message. If everybody listens to the end, that's probably the pearl of wisdom as we come to the end. As always, um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's been a pleasure. This is the second time we've talked in the last little while. Um, I, 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 I hadn't forgotten how knowledgeable you were, but I, I don't live in your part of the world. I don't get to see you speak very often. Read the papers. I didn't, for example, know that you work with Marco Ferrari, and I thought, wow. I mean, that's like driving the Ferrari of PhDs, right? You're working with Marco Ferrari. That's just too, too good. So I want to thank you for doing this. Um, I'll let you know when this is up on uh, Spotify and Amazon and all the rest of the good stuff. We'll make the announcement, uh, hoping to get it out this week. And I want to thank you for taking the time. I know it's late in Kuwait. Um, have you, how does this work? It's, it's what? It's like 10 o'clock there, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock? It's precisely 10 o'clock now, yes. Okay. Have you eaten dinner yet? No, I am doing intermittent fasting. So I've, I've eat because I'm talking. And when I talk, I get, if I eat, I get sleepy. So I don't eat. And now since 8 o'clock has passed, so I'm not eating until tomorrow at 12. So. But you're doing the 12, 12, 16, 8, all that kind of good stuff. 16, eh? 8, yes. 16, and is it 8. working? It is. It is. It is. Okay, so I want to try intermittent fasting. I'm going to do the 24-0 fast. And that... 
Listen, my, my wife thanks. is doing this one. Your wife is doing that too. Yeah, I know. Cigarettes, <laughs> yeah. coffee, and the twenty-four-zero fast, and you'll 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 die, of course, but you'll be very thin when they plant you in the box. My friend, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing the uh, the presentation so that we could come up with this. It was a pure delight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you again for your uh, for your invitation and thank you for your patience. Well, I keep interrupting people, unfortunately. I would I would agree to be your patient. It would be awesome. I would love to do that. <laughs> and thank you again. Thank you. Have okay. a beautiful evening. We're done. We'll call Good it day. Hey, listen, man, thank you so much. This was like, geez, I should be sending you like a fee by PayPal or something. Um, do you ever, do they bring you over to North America at all? Like, are you ever invited by the companies here or is it predominantly Europe and the Middle East? No, predominantly Europe and the Middle East. I've been invited to lecture once on this topic, but it was like a long time. It was in 2005, I think. It was right after the attacks. Yeah. And it was crazy to go there. And we did a one-day course in Jackson, Michigan. And that was the only time I went to the U.S. You know, it's... it's Canada, I've never been to Canada yet. Well, you know, um, it's interesting. The um, What I've learned over the course of the last two years has been very interesting. If I talk to the Americans, I talk to the Europeans, I talk to the Italians, the, the people in the Middle East, North America for the longest time thought it was the center of the universe. It really did. Until you talk to people who are doing digital dentistry, quality endodontics, aesthetics, it's all coming out of Europe. I mean, there are, there are special people in the United States. There's John Coyce and there's a lot of other people. But I listen to you talk about endodontics. And in North America, it's very market driven. You don't, you know, if they, they, they kind of make like, oh, well, I'm not really involved with the company, but sure as hell they are. Even David Clark is 3M and all of these other people. Now, Sun Endo is driving the engine in North America like crazy. The one thing that has come out that might be interesting for you, have you seen this new Edge Pro Endo that just got released? I've seen it, but I didn't put my hand on it yet. But let me tell you something about big companies, Ken. I was talking to somebody. I'm not again. I don't like to say names. I was talking to to a guy very high placed in dent supply. It oh, yeah. was my fair at the time, and I I had spoken to Cliff and uh, Pierre, and I've known about the pro taper. Mm -hmm. And I, we went to a course in my fair and they gave us a course about the profile. Mm -hmm. So I asked the question, but what about pro taper? And he was not happy at all that I was talking about. Oh, this. really? And it took three days for him to start giving me information. I told him, listen, I'm leaving in a couple of hours. What? I need to know. And he started explaining and said, if, I told him, if this instrument is so good, why don't you release it on the market? His answer was simply because we did not get our return on investment back on the R&D of profile. There you go. There you go. So this is how it works. It's all a question of money. It has nothing to do with quality. Well, you know, that's the tragedy is that you made a very interesting point. It's not us that suffer. It's the patients that suffer. So the exactly. company trickles down to the, to, the, to the recipient, not the end user, the recipient. And so much of what goes on in North America is driven that way. I find it less... I'm not going to say I find it less so in Europe. What, what I have found is the people, even if they're involved with the companies on whatever level, they're actually doing research on the products. That doesn't happen in North America. They just talk about the product or they teach the product. The people that I've had the privilege of meeting, 
who are the educators, they've actually done the research like yourself. They don't talk unless they can talk from a point of uh, scientific substantiation. And that's been the most distinct difference of all. They, they are not KOL, they're KOLs for the companies, but they are KOLs with masters and PhDs. There's the big difference. Yeah, we have to do that. Uh, honestly, if, if uh, when once the first lecture I gave about profile, um, they, they I was in Bahrain, I remember, and there was the guy from uh, my fair who was standing, the the, the area manager, and they, I I started talking like this. I told them, uh, they tell you that these instruments don't break, they do right. break. I'm here to tell you how to use them without breaking them. Okay. And he he was not happy at all with what I said, but this is how it is. Because uh, at the end, it, it, you can lie to people once. The second time, they will not believe you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I was going to say, go have dinner, but go fast. Okay, go fast. <laughs> Thank you. It was Ken. wonderful to talk Thank to you. Thank you very much. I'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you for doing Great this. Talking I appreciate you. it. Thank okay, bye-bye now. I really want to thank Kenny for coming on today. It was um, revelatory. Endodontics is undergoing uh, a massive recalibration in so many different areas. Uh, the actual quote-unquote instrumentation or lack thereof, the ability to get rid of biofilm rather than just talking about it, and who knows where restoration is going to go. Uh, every day there's a new material coming on the market. Uh, Sunday is the last... <laughs> The last episode with Sniziana and Mia. Oh my heavens. However, hopefully they'll be back down the road. And then something's going on the following week. And I know that Roberto Rossi is coming up on the 20th on uh, uh, cortical lamina. There we go. Okay, so have a good week. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay well. And very definitely go out and hug somebody. We all need it. Thank you. Talk to you soon.